0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody over here today. And I promise we did pay our power bill this month. Um, So it will warm up very quickly, but we're glad to see you here today. Just one quick word. Um, If you look in your bulletin in the back, we always have our reports from week to week. And um, last week, I just want to highlight and say thank you uh, to our mission team um, that is raising funds for the Romania trip in March. You can see there that there was raised almost, almost here if I can find it, $5,300, $5,266 $5,300, $5,266 is, is what was listed. So thank you for all you who came out, all the pancakes you bought and, or gave to, all the pancakes you ate. But I also want to just say thank you for your generosity. That's going to make a huge, huge um, contribution to our mission team going back to Romania. But right now, if you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you here today, encourage you to make yourself at home, and encourage you before you leave today, please go down the hallway and to your left. We have a guest table there. We have some information on that table. We'd love to give you a gift that has information about our church and ministries. Um, but we'd love to put that in your hands and have a record of your visit. And, and you can fill out a card there or you can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin. And uh, you can leave that in your chair, put it in the offering plate, give it to one of us the staff. Uh, Whatever is easier for you, we'd love to have a record of your visit. But we're going right, to right now ask everyone to stand. And as you're standing, before you shake hands, I want to read one passage of Scripture from Psalm 115, verse 1. It simply says this. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. That is a reason we have to celebrate because we are all here because of the mercy of God. We're here today to hear the truth of God's word. So take just a minute, welcome your neighbor to the service, shake their hand, hug them if they're really cold, warm them up. Welcome them to the service.
1: Attention, please, if you'll be seated and direct your attention to the stage. I'm gonna ask Jody and Danette Childers to come forward. And their little boy James Dean Childers. You guys can come up this way, Jody, if you want to. And Mason's coming with them if you guys will stand right here. Hey buddy. This is little James Dean. He was he was baby Jesus in our Christmas play. And he uh, sat there through, I believe it was five songs, wasn't it? So it was a blessing, and he's happy to be here this morning. And I just want to say to Jody and Danette, I love you both, and Mason, honored to be your pastor. I had the great privilege of officiating their wedding, um, baptized Jody here. Rumor was I couldn't get him up. I got him up easy. And, uh, but but it's, just, it's just a blessing to see you guys here at church and your faithfulness here. And I want to read this verse to you. Read this verse quite often, and I think it'll... It'll uh, really uh, touch home to you guys. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So this is a blessing. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And today you're going to make a covenant with the church uh, and with the Lord to raise James (laughs) in the fear and admonition of the Lord and uh, so I'll ask you both the question if it's the desire of your heart, respond by saying we do. In presenting James to the Lord, do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith? Do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring James up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of the Lord? We do. And at every baby dedication, we also make a covenant with the church as well. Uh, many of you will have James in nursery extended session. Uh, eventually Awana, student ministry, all the way up through Sunday school and different things. So I'll ask you a question as well, and this is a question I ask myself as well. Do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for James by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And do you promise to pray for Jody and Danette as they seek to raise James in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If if so, would you respond by saying "We we do? We do, and we want to give you several things this morning. We have a certificate that marks this day. We have the Lamb's Book, and I also want to mention this. This is good for students, uh, children, or adults. It just explains the gospel and why Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. And this I know you want to go through with with James at some point in time in his life. We also have a Bible for him that I signed, and this is a personal letter for James. This is not for anybody else, and it's sealed. And he opens this letter if he gets saved when he's 5 or when he's 55. This is his letter that marks this day, and in this letter we talk about this moment That we're here today, and we prayed for his salvation. So this is for James. And right now, will you join me as we pray for James and his salvation? Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we dedicate James Dean Childers to you, Father. You you love him, Father. You formed him in the womb, Father. We know you have a great plan and purpose for his life. But Father, the first step is salvation. Father, we pray, Lord, as a church, that you would save him early in his life. Lord, we pray that you would use him for your honor and your glory. Father, I want to thank you for Jody and Danette and Mason. Father, I pray that you continue to bless their marriage and their home. And, Father, I pray that because of this family and because of this birth, Lord, many people will come into the kingdom, and the name of Jesus Christ will be glorified here and throughout the world. So, Father, we dedicate his life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say together, amen. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, guys.
2: Thank you, you, Mason. Please stand as we worship this morning.
1: Thank you so much. As you know, this is a time that we gather around the altar to pray. I have several things I need to mention this morning. If you will, please continue to remember Jatenna Elder. Gary and Kathy have been there at the hospital with her at Baptist for, I don't know, almost about two weeks now. And she's been moved from ICU to another room, but uh, she's still battling with this infection she has with her body temperature and different things like that. I've had a couple of good, really good visits with them. Also, Ronnie Williams asked me to mention his niece in prayer. She's... Uh, Uh, Basically a newborn She's having surgery tomorrow uh, In Charlotte So if you will Remember her in prayer Also Electa Mae Missy Moore um, Is at Autumn care uh, Recovering from uh, A bout with pneumonia And I told her We'd mention her And also Todd Fox uh, Texted me this morning They're taking his mom To the emergency room I believe this is about The fourth time Here in just a short Period of time Aren't you thankful That we can call on the Lord On behalf of these folks Also in your life I don't know what you're Facing today But Jesus does And give it to him This morning You can come as a family, as an individual. You can come with friends, but let's lift these people up in prayer. Also come forward this morning and lift yourself up in prayer to the Lord. As the praise team leads us, you meet me here at the altar this morning. With me now, Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, every person I lifted up, Lord, needs your touch physically. And Lord, we pray. Lord, we know you're the great physician. You can do all things. And Lord, uh, we just pray that you touch their bodies. Lord, work through doctors, nurses, medicine, all those things. Jesus, we just pray that you'd bring healing. Father, we know that your timing's different, your will's different, your plan is different. Lord, these people that I mentioned this morning love you deeply. They trust you. They trust you now, but Lord, we told them we'd lift them up in prayer. So, Father, we're doing that. Father, for everyone here at the altar this morning, Lord, they have different needs, different situations, but you're the answer for everything we're facing. Father, you said to call on you and and trust. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you'd touch people financially, spiritually, Lord, emotionally, physically. Lord, the situations that sometimes we get in that we see no end in sight, Jesus, we pray that you'd intervene. Lord, bring deliverance and help. Father, we're so thankful that your word says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray that this service will bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, bless the offering. It is an act of worship. Be glorified in it, and we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. been held by the Savior. I have Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to actually turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 3 this morning. The title of the message would be Jonah Preaches. Uh, in the past several weeks, we looked at the fact in chapter 1 that Jonah ran. And we talked about that morning about how the fact that we can, as Christians, run from God's service. And that's what Jonah was doing. We also talked about how as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, God can convict you over a particular sin in your life. And you think you're going to run from God and hide that sin and live in that sin without God pursuing you. And we also talked about how oftentimes when we come to church, especially as a lost person, like I did for really for many months before the Lord saved me, that we feel like we can outrun God when it comes to salvation. But if God is pursuing you, he's going to catch you. Amen. Now, last time we looked at how Jonah, God sent this fish to swallow Jonah. And we talked about how that fish was not punishment for Jonah's sin, But it was to bring Jonah back from his sin. And if you notice in chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says this. Or chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the Bible says this, that the fish literally. In verse 10 of chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now think about this for a minute. We talked about how the fish was a picture of Jonah literally reaching rock bottom. And how that sometimes in our spiritual lives, if we continue to run, we must hit rock bottom. And I said for you, that may be a hospital bed. It may be your spouse walking out on you. You may get a pink slip from your employer. I don't know what it is. But God loves you enough to let you hit rock bottom. But I will tell you this. I bet when Jonah was vomited up, he stunk. See, when you hit rock bottom, Jonah could have repented in chapter 1 four different times, and he didn't. It took a fish to get Jonah to repent. You don't have to have a fish in your life. Imagine the bills, because Jonah lost a lot of money and time. Imagine the scars a lot of people carry with them every day because they will not repent, but they accept this rock bottom mentality. This morning, we're going to see how Jonah finally submits to the Lord's will. So if you'll stand with me, and we'll read verses 1 through, through the following. This is the greatest revival ever recorded in the history of the world. Notice what the Bible says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. That's the fourth time we've heard this. A three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city, and on the first day's walk, then he cried out and said five Hebrew words, eight in English, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, and from the greatest to the least of them. Now think about that for a minute. The most vicious people almost probably to ever live. And we'll talk about that again in just a moment. A man comes in, called by God, who preaches to them, and then from the smallest to the greatest, they proclaim a fast and they repent. It's amazing. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, the most cruel dictator at the time. No one crossed the king, but he heard the gospel, and the Bible says this, and he arose from his throne, that's very important, and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth sackcloth and sat in ashes, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce?" Anger so that we may not perish. They repented and they still thought God might destroy them. That's a true sign of salvation. It says in verse 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in your word. We want to thank you, Jesus, for your word. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that that it's amazing what you can do in our lives if we'll just obey you. But all Jonah had to do was just say yes to you. Lord, 99.9% of us in here this morning, you're not going to call us to go to a foreign country. But you may call us to go to our neighbor, or our spouse, or a, a mom, or a dad, an aunt, or an uncle. We don't know. Lord, that might be our Nineveh. But Father, I pray that our answer to you this morning is yes. Because Lord, we see that these wicked people were born again. Little girls had new daddies. Wives had a different husband. They didn't go out killing and raping and robbing, Lord. It's amazing what the gospel can do. Father, the power of the gospel, and Lord, you did it through one person, a very flawed person, who said yes to you. So Father, I pray that our answer this morning before the question' even asked is yes. For your honor and for your glory. In Jesus name, I pray and all the God's people said so together. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One man said this, If God can use Jonah, He can use you. And he he put it this way, God showed the city of Nineveh mercy in an astounding impact by a deeply flawed, bitter, racist, antagonist prophet whom God uses as a human instrument for one of the most massive expressions of divine grace in history. Jonah is certainly an unlikely hero. The first thing I want you to see, and this can apply to your lives as well, is that God gives second chances. You remember the first chance in chapter 1, go to Nineveh. Jonah went to Tarshish, which was the, the furthest place, really, for a Jew. They thought that was the end of the world. And Jonah, Jonah was not just running from God. He knew he couldn't run from God. He was running from his covenant as a prophet. He says, I quit. I do not want to go there. I quit. And, and here's one reason. One scholar said this. One of the reasons is Jonah is a patriotic Jew. Jonah had come to believe, along with most of his countrymen, that God belonged to them, that salvation belonged to the Jewish people only. But when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he makes this astounding statement in chapter, or chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God can give salvation to whomever he wills. Jonah probably also was very resentful because some of his uh, countrymen were probably killed by the Assyrians. Also, he was probably very afraid I mean, imagine going to Nineveh by yourself without any guarantees of anything. God just said you go preach. He didn't tell him anything else. Could you imagine how intimidating that would be? To go to this, these cruel people as a Jew to preach a very unpopular message repent or God's going to destroy your city. He didn't go giving them life verses. But notice what the Bible says in verse 1 Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love how one scholar put it, he says, What a phrase! What grace and forgiveness are bound up in these words the second time. James Montgomery Boyce, who has passed on now. I have many of his commentaries. Great Presbyterian preacher said this. If we were to say, go home now, Jonah, I'm glad you repented of your disobedience, but you're no longer useful to me. We would be just and reasonable in doing so. Does God always do that? Does God stoop to use those who have rejected his commission Turned a deaf ear to his word. Pursued a course of determined disobedience. Yes, he does. If he did not, none of us could serve him. You see, we're not defending Jonah's disobedience here. We're defending the grace of God. Aren't you thankful that sometimes, sometimes God comes back to you a second time? Sometimes he'll come back to you a second time. George Morrison, who was a Scottish pastor, said this, The victorious Christian life is really nothing more than a series of new beginnings. You see, Jonah should have been disqualified from ministry, but God did not disqualify him. But I wonder if Jonah thinks about this. I wonder how much time and money have I wasted? I almost wasted my life because I did not say yes to God to begin with. Friends, listen, I'm thankful for a second chance, but I would encourage you to say yes the first time. Let me ask you a question Would you do some things differently in your life? It's not too late. It is not too late. To obey God's will for your life and make things right with you and God and your family and your church, it is not too late. Aren't you thankful? The second thing we see here is that God's word is powerful. Notice verse 2. God says this, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation or the message which I'm going to tell you. God gives Jonah a sacred charge. See, in the first commission, he, taught, he said, go to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. This time, whenever he calls him, he says, you go to Nineveh. He doesn't mention their wickedness because, he know, he says, you preach to them the message that I give you. Preach to it the message that I tell you. Jonah's not to say anything else. You just give them the word that I give you because my word is powerful. It reminds me that whenever Paul was challenging Timothy at the church at Ephesus, and Timothy was a young man, and basically what Timothy's telling Paul is, I'm young, they're going to look down on me. And Paul said this. Listen, Timothy, I will tell you something. In the latter days, which we're living in from Paul's day on, people will not want to hear sound doctrine. They're going to go to teachers that will tickle their ears. But you, this is what he told Timothy. You preach the word. Plus or minus nothing else. Preach the word. That's what Jonah was called to do. Spurgeon said this. A time will come. When instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. That's the state of preaching in America today. Paul, when he went to Corinth, which was very intimidating for Paul. He says for in First Corinthians one twenty-one, he says this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. You just don't know God that way. He says it pleased God. This is God. It pleased him through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That word for foolishness. He says to some people it's, it's moronic or silly. But to other people it's life giving power that will change your life forever. To the church at Colossae. Paul said this to, to the church. He says him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Him. Who's the subject? Jesus is the subject. Really in Nineveh Jonah's subject was God through the person of Jesus. Him we preach. Spurgeon made it, put it this way. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last, certainly the last that any Christian ought to go here and preach. Do you realize that about six years ago, the, the sermon in America by a Christian ministry who votes on sermons, I don't know how they do that, The number one sermon in America never mentioned Jesus at all. Sad state of affairs in America today. When you can go to church and never hear Jesus in a sermon. God told Jonah, you tell them that I will destroy the city. Him. Notice Jonah, and notice what else. Jonah didn't share the story of the fish. He didn't share the story of the fish. Wouldn't that have been a great story? Let me tell you about the fish. Jonah said, I don't got time to talk about fish or my life. I'm here to tell you that God has a deadline in your life, Nineveh. Repent and believe the gospel. And I thought about this. Could you imagine Jonah going into this city? It's almost like God saying, do not be intimidated by them, by the people, or the city. Notice verse 3. This is why. We we know this. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. It's about a 500-mile walk, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh, this is like the fourth time, and exceedingly great city. You got Jonah and a simple message and this exceedingly great city. Why was it great? It was great in history. It was founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah. It was massive in size. The circumference of the city and its suburbs being 60 miles and having 600,000 people living there. One wall of the city had a circumference of 8 miles with 1,500 towers. Could you imagine? But it was also great In sin. It was idolatrous. They worshiped everything but God. It was immoral and it was brutal. Notice what Jonah would have walked through. This is a very reenactment of the gate in Nineveh. This is a Ninevite gate. This is an actual gate that they remade, which Jonah would have walked through by himself. On that gate, the hinges of the gate, as we saw a couple weeks ago from the British Museum in London, the Ninevites would show Hebrew people, Jonah was one of them, impaled on sticks. Because they conquered them. On those gates that Jonah was walking through. On top of those towers would be guards. In front of that gate would be guards. And along the wall would be some of the greatest soldiers the world has ever known. And here comes little Jonah. Walking through the city gates with the word of God. Could you imagine how intimidating that would be? Not only that. Now notice. Think about this. One scholar said this. It is interesting that for years skeptics said that one of the reasons the Bible was unreliable. Was that it spoke of this great city. Four times here. Nineveh, all, Isaiah, all of them prophesied against it. Now think about this, but there was no evidence that existed until in the mid-1800s an archaeologist by the name of Austin Layard discovered the hill under which the buried ruins of Nineveh lay. In fact, in the dry sand that, it, that had covered the city, it was incredibly preserved. Some of the rocks that have been used to, to redo this uh, Gate and and wall were actual rocks from the city of Nineveh. Now, notice Austin's rendition of the palace. I want to show you this because if you'll notice, this is how he feels like the palace actually looked when Jonah first walked in. You have battle scenes on the walls that they painted. You have uh, the glory of the king everywhere. You have their gods everywhere on the walls. And then here's Jonah, a little Jewish guy, by himself, who has the message of the gospel. Could you imagine how intimidating that would be? Have you ever been intimidated sharing the gospel? You have never been as intimidated as Jonah has when he goes into this palace where the king lives, the king of Nineveh, all right, the king of Assyria, and he says, "I'm going to share a very, a very judgmental message with you." Now, notice also as well, you you can't see there on the picture. You may not be able to see here, but these are actual those two bearded gods there are. are not gods they they were gods for them if you'll notice this next picture this is actually from the British Museum in London these statues are actually from that place they're 3000 years old just to give you the mindset of, of the king in Nineveh these winged bulls with human heads and faces served the king of Nineveh as a guardian to protect him from spiritual danger he had two of them in his palace he'd walk by them every day saying you're protecting me these statues and I can imagine that Jonah had the opportunity, while standing in the palace, to perhaps point to those massive idols and say, O king, they'll not guard you from the judgment of my true and living God. Now think about that for a minute. Jonah walks by these false gods. Now it's hard for you to see it on the screen, but you can Google it. British Museum of London. And here you have these gods that pre- specifically were there to protect the king. Okay, And Jonah walks by those. Thinking to himself, they cannot help you do anything, king. But the king has lived this way for years. But notice what verse 4 says on the screen. Then Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God. 40 days, he says. The word overthrown there means to literally turn upside down. It was the word used that God used for the complete destruction. Or overturning of the city's foundations and walls in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, which God burnt to the ground. This message has two parts. Now, this is very interesting. Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay? Nineveh will be overthrown. You're going to be destroyed. Every person, what he's saying here is this. If you understood the word overthrown in the Hebrew and the Assyrians would have understood this. You're going to die. Your wife's going to die. Your kids are going to die. Your cows are going to die. Your pet dog's going to die. And by God's grace, your cat's going to die. Amen? They're all dead. Unless you repent, you're dead. Everything here is going to be gone forever. And he could have said like he did Sodom, nobody's even going to remember you anymore. It's gone, yet it's going to be overthrown. He didn't go in and say this, God has a better plan for your life. If Jesus is your Lord, every day will be Friday. If Jesus is your Lord, your crops will grow and your pigs won't die. That's what you hear in America today. I, I, I copied this part of this message from a well-known uh, positive preacher. And listen to what he says about salvation. God loves you and wants to save you from your life of mediocrity and small dreams. Therefore, if you believe in God and be obedient to Him, God will give you a plan for your life that includes big dreams, self-esteem, favor, health and wealth, influence, a better job, a positive self-image, and a fulfilled life free of negativity. Could you imagine Jonah going to Nineveh sharing that? Well, that is speared him through the heart. This is what we're getting in America today. Notice, but notice the word, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall or will. You see, this first part of this is a promise. Will, this will happen. If you do not repent, you will die a very cruel death by the hand of an almighty holy, just God. Do you realize, I'm going to tell you a will in your life this morning. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you die that way, you will be cast into the lake of fire. That's a promise. You will not spend eternity in heaven. You will spend eternity in a a devil's hell where the worm never dies. Jesus said it. Jesus said when he sent the 70 out, do not fear those who can destroy the body but can no longer do nothing else. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Will, it's going to happen. Jonah told the king of Nineveh and Nineveh themselves, if you do not repent, God's judgment will come. And I'll tell you this morning in Alexander County, on the authority of God's word, if you do not repent and place your faith and trust in Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. You will. Judgment will come to your life. It will happen. Do not believe the lies that most of the things you hear on the radio or TV it will occur it will happen it will it shall it shall this is a promise God is a God of justice righteousness and holiness but he's also notice a God of grace this is so beautiful he says this. yet 40 days aren't you thankful for a warning aren't you thankful aren't you thankful that God warns us I'll give you 40 days as wicked as you are I will I love you so much they deserved to be destroyed years ago. God had lived with this stench. It, when it, in chapter 1, when he said, their wickedness comes up to me, it's like this puke, this, this, this wickedness, this stench is coming up to me. But God says, listen, I will give you 40 days. 40 days. Aren't you thankful for warnings? Have you ever, have you ever been laid on your power bill? You bunch of liars. I know you have eventually. Have you ever got a warning? Isn't that a blessing? You know, 30 days are going to cut your power off. I'll tell a story of myself. Back when I used to write checks, y'all remember those things, checks that you write? My job was to pay the power bill, and I just got busy. I, was an associate pastor here, just forgot. Well, they came out and gave me a warning. You got so many days to pay your power bill. I said, I'll pay my power bill. I got the money. Then they put one of those little things on my door, right? So what I did was I said, today, because tomorrow they're going to cut my power off. It's going to be real embarrassing. Today I'll write the check. And i'll take the check today well i got busy i put it in my back where I, where I put down i put it down that i paid it and i said well i'll just go pay the power bill well me and the pastor at the time we're going to baptist hospital and i remember my wife calling she says what did you do they just cut our power off i said what i said i paid the power bill and i was looking through my thing and there's a check that i never wrote to the power bill and they cut my power off my kids chased the guy down the road Taylor and Jordan yelling at him. You're a mean person for cutting our power off. She did. You're mean. Thought Python rocks at him. But I learned a valuable lesson that day. But I was so thankful for the warning. Listen, God, listen to this in your life. God, spiritually speaking with salvation, has a deadline. You got a deadline. You might say, I won't get saved today. I'll get saved next week. You You might not. You may not ever come to this church again. God has a deadline. You may not be alive next week. That's why Paul told the church of Corinth, today is a day of salvation. Why would you play around eternity? Why would you do that? Why would you reject Christ over and over and over again, knowing that someday in your life, 40 days will be over? Do not wait yet 40 days. God has a deadline, and God is a God of grace. He loves the worst of us, but he is just. Notice what the Bible says. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you why the Bible is so important. Paul said this. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The writer of Hebrews says the word of God, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, cuts to the joints and the marrows. God's word is so powerful. Matt Brunson said this. Life and death and eternity and worlds unknown may hang on the preaching and hearing of one sermon. This may be your wake-up call this morning. The third thing is this. God can save anyone. Do you believe that? Notice verse 5. Some of the most wicked people on the planet. So the people of Nineveh believe God. That word for believe means not just intellectually, but with their lives. They're saying, we're trusting in you. All these other gods, there's no other God. There's no other God. He's it. There's one God, and we're believing in Him. So the people of Nineveh believed God in their repentance. It was public and it was personal. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. We're going to show you how repentant we are. We're going to walk around in sackcloth. This is our public profession of faith. This is our public profession of faith. Their repentance was public and it was personal. You can't repent for your spouse or your kids. You can't do it. Repentance and salvation is personal. Think about this. These are some of the most wicked people in the history of the world. And they believe God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest. It would be like going to the most wicked spot in Iran and there's a bunch of them. Just sharing Jesus and the whole place repents and turns to Jesus. And does it publicly. This isn't corporate salvation, but that's just how God worked in this thing. Now notice verse 6, and we'll close with this. Notice the king. This was, this was the, probably one of the most wicked people, the most feared person on the planet at this time. And he hears the gospel in God's own way. Now notice, the word of the Lord came to the king. God can save anybody. I believe that with all my heart. God can save anybody. 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 The word came to the king. Now notice, this is a sign of repentance. He arose from his throne. See, you can't share the throne with Jesus and be saved. You just can't do it. you got to step off the throne of your life and say there's one king. The night I got saved, I was 20 years old. I had my throne. You better, you better not touch my throne until I heard the gospel. And then I said, Jesus, I'm stepping off the throne of my life for salvation. But it impacted so many other things. You know what the king said? He talked about his cows and all his animals. You know what that's a picture of? Not just them mourning, but the king says, everything that I have is yours. All my stuff is yours. Everything. Isn't that amazing? They would use the cows in satanic pagan ritual sacrifices. And the king says, not anymore. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Is your stuff yours or is it God's? I remember when I was a student pastor, we had a minivan that the light always blinked on because it was a Ford. I'm surprised we got back and forth. You know how they are? But anyway, it would blink back and forth, okay? And I told the Lord this. I'd take students home, especially on Friday nights and Wednesday nights, 10 or 11. Is illegal, but I'd take them home. I'd say, God, as long as you let this van run and not die on me, okay? Because it is a Ford, Lord, all right? It was a Ford, all right? I said, I'll take students home. I would go home on Friday nights. God is my witness. There'd be roadblocks out Three Forks Way for what I guess is doing drugs out there or something. I don't know. And I'd have to tell these students, hide. There's too many of you in here. Get down. Don't talk. This is illegal. And they'd stop me and they I'd hear them say, I oh, asked the preacher, just let him go on through. Just let him go on through. But I, this is what I said, Lord. Lord, my stuff is your stuff. I'm I'm not taking nothing to heaven. I got some souvenirs at home, but they ain't going with me. I got souvenirs in my office. They're not going with me. None of that stuff is mine. You know what else I gave him? Now, this is a tough one. I gave him my wallet. I was one of the last people in the world that would ever give money to a church. All right? And when the Lord saved me, I said, Lord, 10% of everything I have is yours. Check my tithing records. 10% of everything I have is yours. Now, you want to see who, how saved you are? Are you on the throne of this or not? This don't save you at all. This is an act of worship. I don't know who gives here and don't care. I know I do. I'll stand before Jesus one day, and this isn't going to be a problem. i got others. This is not it. I said, Lord, this, this that I have right here is yours. A sign of Christian maturity and who's the king of your life is what you do with your money. We don't have a giving problem here, thank God. I don't ever preach on giving here. Shouldn't have to. Nobody ever preached on giving to me. I was just born again and said, Lord, look, the king says my stuff is your stuff. Think about this as well. The king was married, was he not? Can you imagine what a different husband this lady got after he got off the throne of his life? Can you imagine how immoral and pagan this guy was? Can you imagine? What kind of dad those kids had? Why do you go to Nineveh? So kids will have a good daddy. For the first time... In this man's life, he probably treated his wife and his kids with respect and the women of Nineveh. Now, have you given your relationships to the Lord? Oh, all you young single guys will look at me. I dated my wife for five years. You know what I told her that last weekend? I said, I should have married you two years sooner. But I was just pagan. I was lost is what I was. But when I got saved on a Tuesday night, a mile, an actual mile from this church on a Tuesday night, When I stepped off the throne of my life, I said, Lord, I'm giving my relationships to you. Within a year and a half, I was married at the age of 22, had my first child at the age of 24, was ordained at 30, became pastor here at the age of 35. Why does that happen in my life? Because I stepped off the throne of my life, first and foremost, in my relationships. Friends, listen, are you you the king of your life this morning? What are you keeping to yourself? Is it the Lord's? You think you can do better with your life than he can? You can't do it. Learn from this king this morning. Learn from him. And I'll tell every born again person here this morning. There is a Nineveh in your vicinity. You not sharing the gospel, you not sharing the gospel may keep a family from having a godly dad, may keep a family from having a godly mom, May keep a whole lot of people from experiencing salvation. Do you not love Jesus? Are you not thankful you're saved? Aren't you thankful that somebody prayed for you? That somebody shared the gospel with you? That somebody invited you? Be that person for somebody else. I want our musicians to come. We're not going to give a long invitation. But I want you to stand with me. Just very reverently with every head bowed and every eye closed. And as you do that, I want to remind you that Jonah points us to Jesus. When the Pharisees came to Jesus, they said, we want to see a sign. Jesus said, all right, you healed the deaf. Gave sight to the blind. And Jesus said, you'll not get a sign from me but the sign of Jonah. Who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So will the son of man be. And what he's saying is this. I will resurrect from the dead. Proven proven once and for all that I am the king. And he says, if you do not repent, the people of Nineveh, these people in chapter 3. Will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn you. Friends, the people of Nineveh, if they were here, they would beg and plead with you. Trust in Christ. Greater than Jonah is in Jesus. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us as your children to step off the throne. Lord, none of, the, none of our stuff is ours. We're so thankful for what we have. Lord, you're probably not going to ask for much of it anyway. But Lord, our relationships, Lord, are they godly and Christ-honoring? Father, I pray that we'd make a commitment today to step off the throne of our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, remind them you have a deadline. Lord, there is judgment coming. But Lord, in your grace, in your long suffering, Lord, you've allowed us to live this long, perhaps for this day. Father, I pray that anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you right now, they don't have to do it out loud, would say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. Save me today. I'm going to follow you from now on today. Today is my day of salvation. Today I step off the throne of my life, and you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's no other today. Father, this is your time, and these are your people. I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning.
2: I have decided
1: Before we dismiss, number one, thank you so much for being here today. Number two, if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and you'd like to talk to me about that privately sometime, uh, my number is in the uh, uh, bulletin. So if you will just contact me, I'd send me a text first. But I don't have your number because I'm going to think you're uh, wanting a warranty for my car that I don't own. But uh, it's in there. I'd love to talk to you about that anytime. Also, want to mention this: that care tonight starts at 5 p.m. So we encourage you to come for that. And also Wednesday night. Kevin mentioned the Romania mission team. Um, Allie, uh, who is from Romania, is going to share her testimony. Also, Kevin Powell, who's been very involved with Finding Hope Ministries, will be speaking as well. So I want to encourage you to be there for that. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon and hope to see you back here tonight.